So here we are. You know, there's, there's this apparent conflict, and I'm saying that very deliberately, apparent conflict between science and scripture. That's a human construct. Science is simply God's world. And scripture is God's word. And God doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. They get along just fine with each other. This is where the problem is. It's the humans that get involved. So, I'd like each one of you to take, I, I brought something along here. And, yeah, I'd like each one of you to have one of these. And you're welcome to do what you would like with it. In fact, I'm going to take a couple of these. Yeah, go ahead and pass those around. And break one off and pass the rest around. Yeah, if you, got, if, you, if you can grab a big one out of there and then pass that chunk off and then pass it. In your, in your case, well, maybe not. I, I've got to remember, you're teaching middle school. For that matter, how many of those, how many of us here are presently middle school teachers? Oh, bless your hearts. Okay. That's, we love it. Okay, I'm going to put myself in that category. Susan said we love it. Likewise. I did for 22 years. I taught middle school. And that's how this happened. It's kind of funny. Brenda Vanderluck, who's basically puts most of this conference together. Most of you. If, how many of you know who Brenda is? Okay. She was one of my student teachers. She knew me when I still had a full head. <laughs> and it was shoulder length. <laughs> oh, you're thinking that had to have looked awful. I guess, you know, there's a whole generation of people who looked awful. Um, yeah, for those of us who teach middle school, the thought of passing ice cubes around, you're thinking that's... What are you thinking, Birdworth? You're not middle school people anymore. Most of you are not. <laughs> but there is a certain mentality that remains, and my wife periodically reminds me of that. So the question is, what do you have in your hand? And, and you, well, you've got this, it's cold. Okay, which means, no, it really isn't cold. What's actually happening is you are experiencing, experiencing the sensation of thermal energy leaving your hand. No, Bergwerk, my hand is cold. No, you're, you're experiencing energy leaving your hand. No, the cold is going into my hand. No, it isn't. It's, there's, so there's a perception. Anybody here not have one of these things yet? Not much longer. Oh, not much longer. Okay, okay. So 
I've got to ask you a question then. And don't answer this one out loud yet. You will shortly. Okay. What is this? Okay. The thing in your hand. That solid whatever. You all know what that is. Of course you know what it is. You've got a lifetime of experience with these things. Okay, in that case, on the count of three, I want you to say out loud what it is. One, two, three. Okay, the dominant answer was ice. Okay, so if you said ice, don't repeat your answer. Those of you who didn't say ice, on the count of three, I want to hear your answer again. One, two, three. Water. You all picked up on that? What would a third grader say this stuff is? Ice. Is that actual correct? Is that actually correct? What is ice? What, how, how is it that, it, for those of you who are thinking, I don't want this in my hand anymore, you can just set it on the floor. What, on the carpet? Yes, we're just simply going to increase the humidity in here temporarily. <laughs> Seriously, it's okay, you can just put it on the carpet. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, let's get this dried off. So, yeah, we're, what is this? A third grader is going to tell you it's ice. And they're going to be adamant about it, it's ice. Well, isn't it really water? No, it's ice. Well, ice is a form of water. No, it's ice. So there's a perspective there. What model are we using? And in the sciences, we approach all of our concepts from a model based. Okay, so are we using a really simplistic model? You know, we have this stuff in the air, we call that water vapor. We have the liquid stuff, what's water, and then we have the solid part, and that's ice. And they're just three totally separate different things. That's a simplistic model that works for elementary students. But there comes a point where they have to realize well, that was a simple model, but it would work better if we understood that it is the same substance but in different phases. A third grader may not be ready to understand or accept that yet. They may only be able to operate under the simple model. So I got another question for you. Okay, and yeah, you do have to provide an answer. So I want you to think through these, and you're going to vote very shortly. So here's here's one option. And you know, here's option two. Here's option three. Option four. It's option five. And those are your five options. You may only vote once. So what I would like you to do, preferably with your right hand, I want you to raise your hand with the number of fingers extended that tell me which one of these five you're voting for. It's time to vote. Go for it.
Did you notice, and by the way, if you would have been a really good high school student, you would have very carefully glanced around to see what it was, <laughs> but done it in a sly way so that nobody could see that you were actually looking, of course, although everybody knows everybody was doing that. Well, what you also would have noticed is there was a dominant... Yeah, we didn't have a sunrise this morning. But there were also a fair number of you who were saying it was number two. Okay, we all know that the sun rises in the east. Or does it? Huh. Well, what, just... Okay, so we're coming out of the sciences. We're looking for evidence. You gave an answer. You either gave this answer or you gave this answer. These were the two dominant answers. There were, there were a couple of other ones. What's your evidence? Okay. I'd like to hear some of your evidences. I mean, you're not just pulling this. You're, you didn't just pull this answer off the top of your head. There was a reason you gave the answer. And the reason wasn't, well, let's see. Looks like most of the people are doing this, so I'm going to do it. Now, you've got a better reason than that. What's your reason? Let's hear it. For my life, when I want to see a sunrise, I look east. Okay. Or when I want to see the sun. So, so you've got personal experiences with yes. this. Anyone else? The sun doesn't move around the sun, so it can't rise. <coughs> well, what's your evidence for that? <laughs> this is hard for people who know too much. We all, this part of being human is we're looking for evidence. So we have, Susan was saying, well, if, you know, when I go outside and I want to watch the sunrise, I look toward the east. That's, you know, sensory perception. And that's where all of our students are going to come into this from. That's how they're going to start. But that's not the only place that we go. Scripture gives us a description. You know, Matthew, it says, the sun rises. Okay, Luke tells us <coughs> we have a rising sun. For centuries, it was taught in school that the earth was the center. So the sun would rise, and it's pretty obvious if you take your class outside at about 8.30 in the morning, depending on what time zone you're in, where, where part of the time zone you're in, but you know, at, at the appropriate time, you take your first class in the morning outside and look at where the sun is rising, you're going to be looking in the east. Or, or perhaps if it's in December, you're going to be looking in the northeast. And I noticed that there were a couple of you who had, I don't remember if it was number three or number four. Okay. You had northeast. Of course, if we had summer school and this was June, you'd be looking in the southeast. Oh, I've got that one reversed. Backwards, sorry. Shows you how well I have rehearsed all of my notes. <laughs> 
So we understand that there's some shifting that goes along, and we're, we're understanding that, again, from some sensory perception. But what, what do we do with this? Okay, and then we heard somewhere when we were an elementary student that now the Earth is stationary, and it's not the sun that's going around. We're rotating on our axis. The sun is stationary. We're in orbit around the sun. So we pretty much have accepted that. Okay, but if we've accepted that, what do we do with the scripture? Okay, that's not a rhetorical question. What are we doing with these two scripture verses? For that matter, what are we going to do with the Genesis and the Samuel and the Psalms and the Job and the Isaiah? I mean, scripture is pretty clear. The sun rises. Oh, say that again, please. Was that the point of these verses? Hmm. For, for those of you who didn't hear that, was that the point of those verses? No. The author of these passages, you know, whether it's Jesus who is speaking, or Isaiah who is speaking, or David, they're simply using experiences, these sensory perceptions that we all have, our everyday experiences, they're using them in a way that made sense. So, is that conflict real? Is there, is there a conflict today between science and scripture? recognize these two dates. I mean, these, these two dates are prominent in the church. And, and for those of you who are thinking they're prominent, oh shoot, I missed that. Okay, what are they prominent for? Well, you might not personally recall this because you weren't around in 1610, but 1610 is when Galileo was excommunicated. And Galileo was excommunicated because he, he says, well, he did a number of things. <laughs> Interesting gentleman. You know, one of the things he did is he takes this book that um, Copernicus wrote and says, we've, we've got evidence here. The earth isn't the center. The sun is the, the center. Everything goes around the sun. He said, not only that, but... I made my own telescope. I can take a look at the planet Jupiter, and I can see four moons that are going around Jupiter. And incidentally, any one of us can do that, too. The only condition is you've got to have a pretty good pair of binoculars, because you don't need a telescope to do that. A high-powered pair of binoculars, you can do this. You can see, and you need to have a little patience, because it takes about 10 hours, but you can watch Okay, you need to have a lot of patience. But your teachers. You can see the 
four Galilean moons, which are named after Galileo, cross the face of Jupiter. You can watch the shadow as it's traveling across the face of Jupiter. Okay, so Galileo sees this, and he's telling the church leaders, I can show you this. I said, oh, absolutely not, because scripture is very clear. You don't bother with your evidence against scripture. You are destroying the authority of scripture, and we will not allow that. So in 1610, he was excommunicated. In 1992, <coughs> I'm going to read you an excerpt from the New York Times. See, some of you were around in 1992, so you remember this one. November 1, 1992, New York Times. Moving formally to rectify a wrong. Pope John Paul II acknowledged in a speech today that the Roman Catholic Church had erred in condemning Galileo 359 years ago for asserting that the earth revolves around the sun. The address by the Pope before the Pontifical Academy of Sciences closed a 13-year investigation in the Church's condemnation of Galileo in 1633, one of history's most notorious conflicts between faith and science. Galileo was forced to recant his scientific findings to avoid being burned at the stake, and he spent the remaining eight years of his life under house, house arrest. And I'm not going to read the rest of the article, but I find that so interesting. It took the church 390 years to finally issue an apology to Galileo. <laughs> and he's thinking, yeah, it's about time. It sure took you a long time to do that. The church got it wrong. All right. I was writing for him. Yeah, I gave you a little hint there. Maybe it's the water cycle. And my assumption is all of you could very quickly and easily and accurately draw the water cycle. Okay, for those of you who are thinking, I don't teach that stuff. Well, there it is for you. So, you know, very, very simply put, the water evaporates, unless it's coming from plants, then it's transpiring. It gets into the air, we have water vapor, the water vapor cools off, it condenses, and then once it condenses and the droplets join up and they're heavy enough, we'll get some precipitation, which then comes back into the liquid water on the, on the surface of the earth, or it comes into the solid water. And so we have this cycle that is repeating itself. Scripture has some comments about rain. In Zechariah, I've got four pages of references to this. I'm only going to give you one here. It's the Lord who sends the thunderstorms. He gives showers of rain. Scripture says, that's where rain comes from. Is that where rain comes from? Right now you're thinking, well, well, rain comes from there. But rain also comes from there. Yeah, that's a both and. And I think that's sometimes where we 
run into some challenges. And one of you said, what is the point behind the scripture verses? And I look at the, the passage in Zechariah, the point behind that is, are we learning our dependency on God? we had too much challenge with the sunrise and with the rain. Yeah, we all get where rain comes from. Yeah, we all get where the sun rises, and no, it doesn't really rise, it's here turning on its axis. And, okay, scripture speaks in a way that we understand it, it, it's okay to say that rain actually comes from evaporation and condensation and precipitation. It's okay to do that. It's okay to say, well, the earth really is orbiting the sun and it's turning on its axis and those are the reasons that we see what we see. It's not that the sun is physically rising, even though scripture says that. So we're okay with that. We, we don't have a difficult time with that. Okay, but now we go to one of our eminent theologians. <laughs> Some of you may be familiar with this particular uh, comic strip that Gary Tudor wrote. So here's the doctor. Oh, hope he's only a Sunday creationist. TB? Are you sure? Afraid so, but we caught it. So, is my prognosis good? Depends. Are you a creationist? Uh, why? Yes, yes I am. Why do you ask? <laughs> because I need to know whether you want me to treat the TB bug as it was before antibiotics or the multiple drug-resistant strain that it has since evolved into. <laughs> I, I can just hear his voice squeaking. Evolved! <coughs> Your choice. If you go with the Noah's Ark version, I'll just give you streptomycin. Um, what are the newer drugs like? They're intelligently designed. <laughs> Isn't it kind of funny? We seem to draw a line in the sand with certain, certain scientific things. We're fine with rain. We're fine with sunrise. Don't you dare touch that word evolution. That one's scary. Oh, are we going to jettison the authority? scripture, if we cover a topic like this, you can't do that and keep your job. What? And, and here's what's really interesting. We don't all draw that line in the same place. Galileo's life, that line was in a different place. But the, the 
point behind it with Galileo was the questioning of biblical authority. I don't think that's any different today. At least not in the experiences that I've had for a fair number of years now. Okay. That, that is where the bottom line challenge ends up being. Where is the biblical authority? So I've got to ask, what is it that scripture addresses? And I, I've had students who have told me this. Scripture has all of the answers. I've heard that so many times now that my first response to that, just an instinctive response is, can you give me the phone number for Papa John's pizza? <laughs> and then what do they do? They haul out their phone. And what do I do? I've got a Bible on the shelf in one of my classrooms. And I said, no, this is where all the answers are. Oh, come on, Bergworth. You don't mean that... I only know what you said as the answer to all of life's questions. Does, does scripture, there was a time that, yes, it was thought. Oh, absolutely. Scripture is pretty clear on this one. And for those of you not in the geosciences, this means sun-centered universe or earth-centered universe. And if, if you read scripture in certain ways, it's really clear that scripture is saying the sun is the center of the universe and everything goes around it. Well, how does scripture address bacteria? No one in scriptural times had a clue of what bacteria was. I mean, you know, that didn't start coming about until Louis Pasteur began to do some of his work. So we've only known about bacteria for, what, 150 or 200 years-ish? How is scripture going to address bacteria? Oh, what about the changing parts? Okay, we looked at the, at the Doonesbury cartoon. These strains continue to change. You know, why is it that I had a student in my class last year who was in and out of the hospital four different times in the semester because she has the antibiotic resistant bacteria. Okay, that was this past year. 10 years ago that didn't happen, 20 years ago that didn't happen, 30 years ago, that, why is that happening now? It's because this is changing. And we're not able to change our antibiotics fast enough to keep up with the change. Well, how does that change happen? Okay, so what's that word for change? Go ahead, you can say it. Exactly. There's a change that is constant, constantly happening. You know, scripture describe the physics of black holes. There was no concept of a black hole 
in scriptural times. Scripture doesn't address those kinds of things. So why do we misuse the scripture? What about, oh yeah, as well. So yeah. Uh, what do we do? Oh, this, uh, you know, we start talking about this. It, it's one thing to talk about where earthquakes happen and where faults are, but then we start talking about that the continents are moving, and then if they're moving, they used to be in a different place. If they used to be in a different place, there was, oh, you aren't going to talk about Pangea, are you? <laughs> <laughs> what does scripture say about that? Alfred Wegener is, is the one who first started thinking about the potential that the continents moved around. He proposed that in the 1930s. Those ideas weren't around in scriptural times. And by the way, when he proposed that idea in the 1930s, he was considered to be a nutcase. Wegener, this kind of stuff can't happen. Yeah, like how are the continents going to move, uh-huh? Sure. Well, he comes up with evidence for them having moved, but he couldn't figure out how they moved. That didn't happen until the 1960s. And it's pretty cool. It happened shortly before he passed away. And for him, it was like, yes, we finally found out how this works. But that's part of the nature of science, and that science continues to evolve. It continues to, we continue to make new discoveries. So, Scripture doesn't address this kinds of stuff. Galileo had an opinion on what Scripture addresses. I, you know, this was 400 years ago or so that he was talking about this. I kind of think he was right. <coughs> so, oh, yeah. Is there a conflict? I'm sorry. So, where's the conflict and why is there a conflict? You know, we look at theology. That's a study of God's word. And we look at science. Well, that's a study of God's world. And as I said right at the beginning, God doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth. His word and his world are consistent with each other. Where's the problem? Humans are doing it. I mean, we're fallen creatures. And if you're not convinced of that, go back to your classroom and look at your students. <laughs> we, we are. We, we are prone to error. So, our error is in our studying. Our error is in our study. And so we have two aspects of error working <coughs> apparently against each other or not. So what is it that we can agree on? Or, or this is what I would hope. You know, what is the intent? And who was it that, that said that right off the bat? Thank you. What's the message behind Scripture? What is Scripture attempting to tell us. <clears throat> What's the intent of science? What is science attempting to tell us? 
and they're not attempting to tell us the same things. And by the way, for those of you who are looking at STEM components, the engineering part, this is where we add in the engineering. Science figures out, you know, how, how does this work? And then engineering says, okay, now how do we solve problems using that? Well, I've got a question for you, and I'm not going to show you this picture yet, because there are some of you who have seen this before. So those of you who have seen this before, just quiet. Thank you. I showed this to my wife last night and asked her what her first thoughts were. But I'd like to hear what your first thoughts are. Okay? Let's holler it out. Yeah. Sorry? Clamp. Clamp. Some more. Keep going. Okay, keep going. It's a torture device. A what device? Torture device. Torture device. <laughs> keep, keep going. Care device. Oh, that. My wife's first question last night was, what is it? And her second question was, what does it do? It's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, other than those of you who have seen one of these things before, how many of you know what this is just by looking at it? Oh, not only you know what it is, you've all seen how many hands we have up, right? Okay. Not only do you know what it is, but you know how it works, right?
asked me, how old is it? Why didn't you ask me that? I really want an answer. Why didn't you ask me either one of those questions? You're more curious about what it does. Okay. Because you didn't say, you may ask me whatever you want. <laughs> no, I, you're right. I just asked you what's the first thing that came to your mind when you saw it. 
Go ahead. Uh, knowing how it was made isn't going to be the most useful to understand what it does, because you manufacture things various ways, a few different things. Well, let's apply that to God's creation. We look at God's creation, and what's the first thing we ask? How old is it? Oh, you don't give me the right answer on this? You must not be a Christian. We want to know, how does this work? You know, we look at the world and, how does it work? We look at bacteria. How do they work? How do they reproduce? How do they change? We try to figure those kinds of things out. And then, and <coughs> Susan, thank you for asking me to step into John Whitley's session on the Psalms. It's, it's then that we are in awe of an incredible creator who does these kinds of things. You know, who in the world would have come up with bacteria? Well, God did that. How cool is that? Except when you don't get the bacteria you want. And then we think we have colonies of bacteria that live inside of our gut that are keeping us alive because they're helping to break the food down that makes it the nutrition available to us. How cool is that? You take an antibiotic and it wipes out the good bacteria and then we've got problems. And it's, oh, we're beginning to understand how these things, how cool is that? What an incredible creator. And, and what year did he do that creation? And how old is that? And he made it all just like that. We're missing a point. <laughs> I love technology, <laughs> especially when somebody else can help me with it. So thank you. So what kinds of questions does Scripture address? Okay, now I'm going to follow that up with what kinds of questions does science address. But what I'd like you to do right now is, okay, you got about 42 seconds. You've got somebody who's pretty intelligent who's sitting nearby. Answer this. What kinds of questions does science address? <laughs> Scripture. Sorry, scripture. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I like how you put it the last time. Your 42 seconds are up. What did you hear from somebody sitting nearby you that you're thinking, this is really pretty profound? Okay, what is it that scripture addresses? Let's hear it. The who. The who question. The, the who question. Who did this? 
Who is the creator of the universe? Who is the God who loves us? <coughs> who is it that came and became a human just for us? And read Colossians chapter 1 for all of his creation. Who is this God? I heard somebody else say something about relationships. You know, how do we learn to get along with each other? How do we learn the relationship between us and God? How do we learn the relationship between us and humans? That's what scripture is so good at addressing. So what kinds of things does science address? Okay, now you only have 40 seconds. <laughs> That's it, cutting you off at 25. I, I heard somebody over here say the how. How does that happen? How does that work? Somebody else. said the how pretty much if scripture addresses the moral bankruptcy of Papa John's pizza then science addresses how awful the taste really is <laughs> <laughs> well put <laughs> so for, for those okay I saw a number has been this number. Wait a minute. How can we be wrong? We are fallen. Yeah, but if I was wrong, I wouldn't have believed it. Now let's look at the word interpret. I just see problems all over the place with this. You know? I'm, I've got cultural lenses. I'm a male. Okay, that, that means I look at things somewhat <coughs> differently. I'm white. That means I look at things somewhat differently. I've spent most of my life in North America. It means I look at things in a, in a specific type of a way. If I were raised in a Palestinian culture, in an honor and shame culture, there are things in scripture that would, oh, I get what they're saying, but because I've, that's not been my experience, I don't understand that. Okay. We, we all interpret. I mean, I, I think of, in John Whitley's talk this morning on the Psalms, he was describing you ever read a psalm, and I, I wish I could remember the one that he was mentioning in specific. Have you ever read a psalm that looks like this verse in the next verse and that verse? They just don't seem to go together. There's no connection between these verses. I don't know Hebrew. As it turns out, most of us will remember at some point in our childhood we read an ABC book. A is for apple. You turn the page. B is for ball. 
you turn the page. C is for cat. That's how one of the Psalms are written. Not a wonder those verses didn't appear to go together. Because it wasn't designed for that. It wasn't intended that way. But I don't read Hebrew. I didn't know that. I, mean, I learned something this morning. That was really cool. So, what about this one? I was raised Christian Reformed. I married a Baptist. We have seven kids. What do we do? Clearly, we have we have some discussions that John the Baptist and John the Calvin need to have with each other. Somebody must be right and somebody must be wrong. I have to tell you, there are times where I wonder, is God ever looking down at us and just shaking his head and saying, you are one of the dumbest things. <laughs> so, yes or no, don't say this one out loud. You know, it, it, do we or don't we? And I know that in some of our churches, absolutely bring them in. In some of our churches, you can't do that because they have to have an understanding of the gravity of what communion is. So are we ever wrong in our interpretation? Don't ask me which one of these is right, by the way. Oh, how about this one? You know, for our charismatic brethren, are they wrong or are we? Or maybe neither of us. You know, one would expect that our theologians are going to continue to study. They're going to continue to learn. They're going to continue to grow and change. It was a few years ago. You know, and unfortunately, this is now in my rearview mirror. Way back when, when I was 50, I heard a sermon that drew in some contextual things from what life was like while Jesus was on earth. This was stuff I hadn't heard before, and I was annoyed. And I went to our pastor after the service. He said, Chuck! Why have I had to wait 50 years to hear this? And he very graciously said, Ken, I'm still learning. Well, if we're in the process of learning and growing and changing, the potential is that we might not have it right. And it isn't any different here how long it, it was in my lifetime that we changed from the continents being static to the continents being dynamic. I watched that. It was on my 13th birthday that the astronauts stepped on the moon. What a cool birthday present. And it was the first time in my life that my parents allowed me to watch TV on a Sunday. I'm thinking, what? Well, that might not have been in the Bible, but that was law. You do not violate 
the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath to keep it. Fourth commandment, you better keep it holy. Don't watch TV on Sunday. Okay, so that's the way I grew up. I graduated college, moved to the other side of the continent to start a teaching position. I remember calling home on a Sunday and nobody answered the phone. <laughs> I called back later that Sunday and my mom answered the phone. Hey mom, where were you? Oh, dad took me out for coffee to McDonald's. I'm a drop. <laughs> you could do that on Sunday now? What happened to the fourth commandment? We've changed. Yeah, why'd you wait till I moved out of the house? <laughs> so, you know, are, are we ever wrong in our understanding? Of course we are. It's, it, we don't think of it as the earth-centered anymore. We don't think of it as the sun-centered anymore. Oh my goodness, the universe is so much larger than we had ever even imagined. Where is the center? I don't know. So, how old is the earth? Well, in the 1960s, it was presumed to be about a billion years old. In the 1970s, it was presumed to be two billion years old. How in the world did it gain a billion years in one decade? It's because we're learning things. You know, is it really 4.7 billion years old? I don't know. But at this point in time, our best studying makes it look like it is. So I'm going to use that as my model. Am I going to say it's definitively 4.7? No, I'm not going to say that. I think it is, based on what I know now. Ask me next year if it's going to be the same. Can't those scientists ever make up their mind? The more we study, the more we learn. That's part of the nature of science. And yes, that annoys some people. I thought scientists were supposed to know this stuff. What's their problem? That's like theologians. I thought they were supposed to know this stuff. What's their problem? Why can they change their minds? Because we keep learning. So, where does that lead us? I hope, I so much hope, that we start with humility. If we consider, and again, this is my science background, but you know, if we consider, this is my model. This is the way I understand it today. That model might become a little more complex. That might, model might be a little more simple. Kind of depends on who my audience is. But it's a model. And do we have the grace to accept differences? Can I worship next to somebody who's a charismatic who it doesn't matter what song we sing, they're out of their seats and their hands are up? And I'm more comfortable like this? You know, can, can we have the grace to do that? Can we have the grace to be in fellowship with people who their model is a little different than our model? It would seem to me, those of us who are grappling with issues in science, 
that have this apparent conflict with Scripture. If we follow after the fruits of the Spirit, there's a much greater likelihood that we can have conversations back and forth. Those conversations are, well, I think this is the way it is. I could be wrong. What's the possibility that you could be wrong too? And if I'm right and you're wrong, I'm certainly not going to gloat over it. And if you're right and I'm wrong, I will have had the benefit of being educated. Can we, can we do this? Now, I'm in front of a friendly audience. At least I think I am. And if you're not, you're, you're holding it back pretty well. You and I, I think, have all been in positions where we were not in the midst of a friendly audience, where it was a very closed mind. And when those cases happen, and yes, I have dealt with parents that way, and I have dealt with students that way. And at that point, the best that I can do is demonstrate as many of these fruits of the Spirit as I possibly can. And not attempt to take my science textbook as a hammer. So I'm going to leave you with a final question. The ranger said the river dug the canyon, Mommy. And you said God did it. Who's right? I heard that. Billy says, yes. To which I fully agree. What questions am I